Welcome to the Transform Your Workplace podcast. I am Brandon Laws, and I'm back with Anna Miners. Last time you came on, we were talking about the book Dying for a Paycheck to talk about how do we not die for a paycheck and instead how do we like transform our workplaces into ones where people are happier, healthier, all that. More productive. Yeah. So it's good to have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think if we can solve this, then we've got the magic wand. Yeah. We can talk about some strategies. Totally. Let's set the stage first. Because last time we didn't really talk about like the kind of work that you do in particular. If you describe the work that you do, I think that might set the stage for this particular episode. So I work for Cascade Centers. We're an employee assistance program. And most people are familiar with EAPs in providing mental health counseling services, crisis services, that kind of thing. Really, what we try to do is broaden the description of that recognizing how interrelated all areas of people's lives are. So not only do we support people in crisis or having mental health issues, but how do we get in front of that and help Mm -hmm. people in more of a preventative way? We work with employers a lot about how to be more proactive and implementing preventative strategies. The other thing is how do we help people have good work-life balance and manage things that happen in our worlds that inevitably Mm -hmm. impact our work, our life, vice versa. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it really is being a resource and a support for the organizations that we serve, integrating mental health and well-being into their workplace. Yeah. And that looks different depending on the employer and their needs and what other resources they have in place. So I'm the director of account services, which basically means that I get to work with all these organizations and our team gets to work with all these organizations and understanding what their needs are. And then helping find solutions for them, you know, to really address employee well-being. I think what a lot of people think of like an EAP, and I know I thought about this because this is how most employers are using it, but like this crisis, Mm -hmm. not even prevention, it's just straight up crisis. Straight up crisis. Like, okay, somebody passes away Mm -hmm. that you work with and now you need like a counselor on site to deal with it. You probably don't like to live in that world. I mean, like it's absolutely necessary, but it's not prevention of any of that. Well, it's a cornerstone of what we do and really what the EAP industry has been all about for a long time. And the EAP industry hasn't been one to quickly evolve necessarily. So if you think about like in the medical community, it's been decades now that we're like, oh, let's treat high blood pressure before someone has a heart attack, right? Yeah. But like the mental health community and the EAP community hasn't necessarily been as fast to get on board with that. It's happening now. I would say in the last 10 years, there has been a definite shift in taking more of that preventative standpoint. Mm -hmm. And some of it's like employer driven, right? Like, we don't want to wait until somebody has a crisis to have them contact you. Like, what if we could get people connected with care sooner, help them have effective tools to manage stress before they're in a crisis? I kind of get why they wait so long. We were talking offline about like just data in general. Yeah. I'm in a marketing role, right? And a lot of marketing is data driven. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not going to spend money or do something or my time or whatever without knowing it's effective. And I think for employers, if you look at it holistically, I'm not going to go out and spend a bunch of money on Mm -hmm. some mental health stuff or physical health based programs without knowing that it's actually going to make people healthier, happier, more productive at work. That fine line between evidence-based intervention and innovation and how do you have 
that balance. It's so true because I think sometimes the innovation has to happen first to explore it before you know if it actually works. You do have to take risks. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to have you on was to talk about some of that. Like, I think some great employers are Mm -hmm. probably instituting some really great programs and they're just going out on a limb saying like, hey, we don't know if this is going to make people (laughs) healthier healthier or whatnot, but we think it's the right thing to do. So are you seeing some of that stuff in the work that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. I think there are different motivations employers have for the well-being of their employees. So definitely you have employers that are that, right? Mm. We want to do what's best for our people because We recognize that they're humans, they're mothers, they're fathers, they're sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, whatever, right? These are people that are here and we want to care for them. And this is how we want to do that. And then some employers do have motivations around productivity. I mean, of course, all employers have expectations around productivity and reducing absenteeism and reducing Mm -hmm. claims costs and things like that. So I think there's different motivations. But regardless, they're working on making sure they're offering things that help their people be healthier. Mm -hmm. When you first introduced to one of your new clients, let's say you're going in for the first time Mm -hmm. and let's put the crisis prevention aside. So Mm -hmm. let's say they need that anyways, just in case something happens as a nice support safety net for employees. But let's say they want to be proactive. Mm -hmm. What kind of conversations are you having with people initially to say like, oh, you need this? I'm really curious what you're saying. The biggest thing that we recommend to people is to get your leaders engaged and trained and having conversations about mental health as part of your overall wellness strategy. I love that. So you're saying like there is a trickle down effect with leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. And setting that tone and reducing stigma and recognizing that EAP isn't Mm -hmm. just crisis counseling. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're worried about your financial well-being, like use your financial coaching, things that are less stigmatized, I guess, and being able to share information in that way. The other thing is that we know when leaders are really well educated around mental health as part of kind of people's whole well-being, that they can respond in ways that are more proactive so they can recognize sooner if somebody needs connection with support. They can do that in a way that feels comfortable to them. My experience is they really want to do the right thing. They just don't know how to do it. And it makes them really uncomfortable. I mean, they have their own stuff too, right? So that is usually my number one recommendation is getting your managers and leaders trained around how to support employees' well-being, including mental health. It's got to be the most challenging part with leaders because like, they've got their own work that they're doing. You're going to add one more thing on top of them. And you can come in and say, like, you need to be doing this and it starts with you. And you could say all these fancy things and they could even buy in. But like walking the talk on a regular basis, like how do you get them to do that? Because that's more of a culture shift than anything else. So like the main things, I was such a research nerd. (laughs) Come on, but like, (laughs) it's all right. You can And I understand how hard they are to do, right? Because like I'm a manager, I understand how hard it is to actually do the things that we know really impact people's well-being. But there's like some components that have been identified. One of them is role modeling. I think that's for a lot of people the hardest one to do. One is providing emotional support. 
And then one is providing what I think is easiest for most managers is instrumental support. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody comes to you with a challenge that they're having instrumental support, it's easy for most managers to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, we can get you a laptop to work from home or we can get you a (laughs) sit-stand workstation, right? Wow. All to do more work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's like the tangible problem solving like the tools and resources that you need, I think that's the easiest one for managers. The emotional support, it depends on the manager. Like some people are comfortable sitting with, I can't solve this problem for you, but I'm going to listen to how hard that must be, how worried you must be about mm-hmm. your child or you know parent or whatever it could be. And I'm just going to let you know, like, I hear you. I know that's really hard. Mm-hmm. We care about you. We want this to work out, that kind of thing, yeah. right? yeah. And some managers have a lot of comfort with that. And some, it makes them really uncomfortable. And some are like, why am I even the one having this conversation? (laughs) Right? So, and then the third one is around role modeling. And so if like work-life balance, for instance, is one of your company values, allowing your people to see you leave work at X time and to take a break or to attend your kid's school play or whatever. And I think that one is hard it for is. people. It's some of like the best leadership books I've ever read were all about like, how do you take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself? You know, like, and I think it does start with modeling. We all know it. It's yeah, just do. doing it. <laughs> it's like most of us know what we're supposed to do to be healthy, right? Yeah. But it's hard to actually... Yeah. How do you bring do your best self behavior. to work and take care of other people if you cannot take care of yourself? It makes so much sense that we just need to figure out how to do it. It takes <laughs> a lot of insight, but I think it also takes intention, like deliberate actions. It's not something that leaders just one day wake up and are like, oh, now I'm great at making sure my people see me taking a lunch, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to tell all of you, you need to take a lunch. And I'm like the worst at this. But I'm like, oh, I'll just get a couple things done in between, you know. But then I'm like, oh. I don't even take lunches. Right. I just eat at my desk. Yeah, and- I know. So you have to be like really intentional and deliberate kind of thinking about mental health proactively, like supporting people emotionally, giving people instrumental support, and then role modeling the behaviors. Those have a really big impact on people's mental health. So it's not even necessarily use the EAP. Some cases it is, but yeah. sometimes it's just like, how do you in your organization facilitate these behaviors that we know help people be healthier. It almost sounds like you're becoming like an executive coach in some ways. It's like if you're helping them role model. Oh, really? Oh, I should add that to my repertoire. Like if you're coming in and saying, hey, look, we could institute all these programs. But at the end of the day, it starts with you as a leadership group role modeling. Yeah what work-life balance means in some ways, if you're coaching them like, hey, you're an executive coach in some ways. And in some industries, it is so hard. Like, I bet. you know, the healthcare industry, nurses especially kind of have a mentality of, and it's shifting, but, you know, it's not uncommon to hear nurses say like, I didn't go to the bathroom my whole shift or whatever, right? In some ways, that's a measure of toughness. Not so much now, but over time, that's kind of been a problem with the healthcare industry. And so it's hard because you can say these things and people even know like, oh, this is true, right? Just like I know I should probably drink two cups of coffee a day. Some days, you know, you Some need days more. Some going to be five. <laughs> right? Yeah, I've got a venti iced <laughs> yeah, coffee exactly. right here. It's, it's one of those so days. You like, know it to be true, but actually doing it, it's challenging. Yeah, for sure. 
we talked about like leadership it starts with leadership like when you actually start getting into the nitty-gritty details of like really instituting work-life balance mm-hmm. and some of these really preventative programs to make people happier healthier more productive all that yeah. stuff what are some of the things that you're recommending employers yeah. and i'm sure it varies across industry because yeah. you can only do so much well, but. we know that there are certain things that across all kinds of jobs help people be healthier so having a sense of control in your environment, like autonomy, I think where that becomes harder in some industries are like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But you know, if you think about like a call center, like that's really hard because you have to be answering calls. A Portland company that I know gets a lot of positive PR, like Ruby receptionists, right? Like they're a call center, but they empower their employees to delight their customers, which gives them sense of autonomy and control in what they can do like, oh, I was just on the phone with this client. I heard that, you know, they're getting married. I'm going to send them like a little care package, you know, so it like gives them autonomy in an environment which is notorious for having low job control. So I think there are things that employers can do to give people that sense of job control for sure. And then things that employers can do for work life balance in retail, like that can be really hard. Mm -hmm. But I was reading a research study that in a grocery store chain, I think it was just allowing people 10 minutes to call to make sure their kid got home okay from school. Like, it's not this huge thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think employers get intimidated that has to be something huge, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I think there's so much noise around all this stuff. It's like, okay, we got to have work from home policies and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. It doesn't have to. It's going to be different for you if you're in retail, obviously got to have people work there. But the sense of like autonomy and job control and even the sense of like a uh, positive culture. Like there's a lot of things I think employers can do and yeah. they're making it harder on themselves by saying, like, oh, we just can't do it because we're not like everybody else. Yeah. We're in XYZ industry, yeah. giving people like more sense of certainty. We talked about that in the last podcast, right? But having more of a sense of role clarification. Yeah. Just like, here is what we expect from you. Just basic performance conversations. Here's what we expect from you. You know, here are professional development opportunities that are available to you here. That helps people be healthy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I talk to employers, a lot of times what I tell them is choose one thing or a couple of things maybe and do those things really well because people get really excited. They're like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And then that gets really overwhelming and they get burnt out and then all of it just kind of fizzles. So it's like, okay, you're going to choose one thing. How can we help people have job Mm -hmm. autonomy or control or a feeling of control and choose that? And what does that look like? And do that thing really well. And when that's going great, then do the next thing. (laughs) So that's another piece of advice, I guess, that I talk to people about a lot. Have you seen anything in your recommendations for employers? Have you seen anybody institute something that's really worked well from a work-life balance standpoint that you would say, oh, this could work anywhere? Gosh, that's such a good question. I don't think there's any strategy that could work everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Right? There's not a one-size. Anything unique that you think would be just, that is so cool. For work-life balance Mm -hmm. specifically. There is something you can keep thinking. There was something I read, I think it was in an article always being connected things a big issue mm-hmm. and i think again it starts at the top so if leaders are doing that they're responding to emails at 2 a.m mm-hmm. or whatever then you know lower level employees would do the same thing they, they think oh this is the norm i want to mm-hmm. impress my boss whatever mm-hmm. and there was one 
company who I think they shut off their servers. I saw something on LinkedIn about that. Like yeah. the, some of the desks like go into the ceiling <laughs> at whatever time. That's a little much. I mean, I think you could literally just turn off yeah. your servers yeah. or something like that. So no emails being exchanged or whatever. But I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, okay, hey, we value the separation of your home life and work life. And when you're at work, we want you to, you know, be productive and go all in. And when you're at home, we want you to be all in and yeah. be there for your family. Yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting way because a lot of books will talk about like work-life integration or mm-hmm. the separation between the mm-hmm. two. I think because of devices and yeah. we're always on. Yeah. And I think that's why you hear the integration thing a lot versus the balance of the two. And I think to do it properly, you need to be all in on one all in on the other. I thought that was a really good example to say like, okay, this is how to separate well, it. it depends. I'm not answering your question, but it does depend because <laughs> some people, there's different ideas of what work-life balance or integration looks like. For some people, that is complete separation. For some people, that's complete integration. Think about like small business owners. So my parent, I was like on the floor at my dad's work all the time. Wow. You know, there was no work-life separation. Like that was his business. I was there because... You know, he was there and I was a You're stocking shelves. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> Child I think labor. it depends. <laughs> Sorry, dad. I'm going to after Throw you. Throw him under the bus here. That's a whole other story. Okay. So <laughs> then some people have like the idea that in sometimes work is going to be your focus. They call it like cyclical balance. Yeah. So like sometimes work is more your focus. Sometimes family is back and forth, back and forth. So it just depends on what people are looking for. I think obviously the most like hot topic right now around work-life balance is parental leave and giving people time with their family, you know, if they have an added family member. I realize that's such a big, like, politicized topic. Oh, totally. One of the podcasts recently, we just did like a debate-style podcast. And so we chose that as one of the topics, and we just debated both sides of it. We have our opinions, of course, but we are forced to argue on one side or the other. Yeah. Honestly, you can make a case for both sides easily. And that's why it's so politicized right now. You know, should it be government mandated? Should employers just say it's the right thing to do? Like, what's your sort of stance on it? Well, I mean, we're talking about health and well-being and that Mm -hmm. people are in positions where they are returning to work days after having their baby. It's crazy. Some of us willingly, like I think (laughs) I was at home for a week. People are going to judge me for this, of course. But my first child. I didn't know what to do with myself at home. Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't help at all other than just be kind of like a support. But I was going crazy. My wife at the end of it was like, just go back. It's better if you're not here. And I'm like, all right. So a week and I'm back. So that was by choice. (laughs) Judge away. It's okay. I will not judge you. I will share that when I returned to work, I took three months, 12 weeks off with twins. And when I returned to work, I was pretty dang happy to not have two screaming babies. Just like always connected always to you. Always on, yeah. right? Judge away. And I did feel guilty about it even at that time. You should have like, like six months, right? Like two kids. Yeah, right? Double the time. <laughs> I was like so looking forward to having adult interaction and like a sense of who I was, not as yeah. a person covered in like spit up and you know, all the baby stuff all the time. So yeah, poop. There's a lot of it. Two babies. (laughs) So I think, you know, I definitely understand that and that choice to go back to work. But there are people that don't have a choice, right? Correct. They have to work. They They have have to to work. I do think there's an opportunity. And I say opportunity because 
employers aren't really doing it. At the end of the day, we're talking about like, how do we make people happier? How do we make them more productive? And I think like these are things in life that are happening that adds so much stress and mm-hmm. it destroys their productivity. So if you can accomplish both, wouldn't you choose to do that? Because as an employer, I'd be like, okay, could I make a cultural change, make somebody happy in my workforce and make them more productive? So there's a win for my side and a win on their side, which ultimately impacts their productivity. So why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, Why do we have to wait for the government to get involved to say you have to do it? It's hard. I mean, it is hard for an employer like compensating for somebody being out for a period of time. Okay, so we're talking about unpaid leave right now, right? So it's hard for somebody to be out for a period of time, Mm -hmm. like the amount of work, especially depending on the nature of your company, the size of your team, right? Small business is hard. Yeah, like the level of work it adds and then the economic costs and then add in like paid leave. I mean, I understand that for sure. You just said like your father parents ran a business, right? They had you as a child slaving away. He might argue that I actually wasn't helping. <laughs> probably not. You're probably, <laughs> yeah, it's probably a in cost the way. to the business. Yeah. I was really joking because like with a small business who maybe have a couple of employees, that's just an impossible ask. Like, okay, somebody goes out for having a baby and I'm expected to now cover their leave. I get why not even just parental leave stuff, just this work-life balance, all these ideas and policies are coming mm-hmm. into play where I get it. Because I can think like an employer. Yeah. I get some of these things are challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd probably argue or consult with some of these businesses to say, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Find something that works for you that Absolutely. works within your framework, yeah. right? Talk about that. Well, I think a lot of times we get stuck in like a false dichotomy. Like it has to be one or the other, like you were just saying. And that in a lot of situations, you can say this is really hard and here's what we can do. Right. And so allowing ourselves to think more creatively, I guess, about the ways that we're supporting people. So we're talking about an obvious one with parental leave, but a big issue for people, especially women, is managing caregiving responsibilities for other family members, not just kids, but adult family, whatever. Was it our last podcast? I guess I was talking about giving people their schedules a certain amount of time yeah, in like advance. seven days in advance. Now it's going to be 14. Yeah, so, so that you can arrange appropriate care and how much that alleviates your work-life oh, conflict yeah. because then you're not worried at the last minute about who is going to care for my yeah. mom or my child God, or whatever that is. These things right? too. You wouldn't even think about that. So there are things that can be done to help alleviate work-life conflict, again, that don't have to be. And that's where employers get really stuck. They feel intimidated, like they have to reinvent the wheel. But it is things that are like that, like Mm -hmm. consistency and shift work that allow people to make choices that alleviate that work-life conflict. So that's where I try to coach people. It feels like a dichotomy, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be. There's ways that you can meet the needs of both people here. I think it's a perfect way to end this podcast is just to say it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think asking employees what they want too is probably very important. I think employers don't do that enough because it changes as you have new people and their needs change and throughout their life. So I think asking them is probably pretty important. It also scares employers to ask because then they're like, well, if they say they want this and then we don't do it, you know, then that puts you in a position too, right? Yeah. I think like what we do here at Zenium, we do an annual survey and we do it for a lot of our clients too. We call it the what people want from work survey. And it gives them a platform to ask, what do people want out of work? What Mm -hmm. can we do better? That sort of thing. A lot of times we'll 
gather the feedback. We'll share it with the organization. Like, here's what you guys said. Mm -hmm. Here's what we're committed to doing. And here's the timeline. Mm -hmm. And then we hear some of these other things, but we're not going to be able to focus our attention on it right now or it's not the highest priority. Like, I think being open with people is pretty important. Transparency. Transparency is huge. So Mm -hmm. I think with this whole conversation of work-life balance, I think employers can just be open and honest about it. Yeah. And that's back to that feeling like it has to be one or the other. Right. So I agree with that for sure. Well, Anna, thanks for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun. Where can people learn more about you, the work that you're doing or anything about Cascade Centers? For sure. So I'm Anna Miners and Cascade Centers. We're headquartered in Portland, Oregon. You're welcome to look me up. I love talking about this stuff. So if you have questions or want to consult about the things that we're talking about today, feel free to reach out to us at Cascade Centers. And thanks, Brandon, for having me. This is really fun. This is really fun. Thanks. Thanks.